Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 578. I'm Kevin Coulson. And I'm Alan Haley. And today is Wednesday, February 26th, 2020. For many of you, you don't know the person sitting next to me, and a lot of you know he's kind of a, a hero within the church because he's served uh, um, the Anglican Church of North America and the ACNN and many uh, uh, churches in California over the property wars that we've had in the last uh, um, dozen or so years. His name is Alan Haley, and from time to time, half the audience probably hasn't uh, watched an episode with you yet. Uh, we have you on for legal clarifications and legal advice and um, legal news. And there's been legal news with South Carolina and Illinois that I want to uh, hit up and uh, get a better understanding of. Uh, but before that, welcome back to the program. How you been doing? Thank you. Well, it's been pleasant. There hasn't been too much church litigation in my life as much anymore, and that's, that's a very good thing. It's poisonous. It really goes on uh, far too long, and it's... Uh, it's been on the Episcopal Church side. It's just been intractable with the uh, uncompromising attitude of the two past presiding bishops. So it's um, it's been unfortunate, but they've let the attorneys run the whole show, and the attorneys, of course, are happy to stay in there for their fees and their billings, and and it's their profession, their livelihood. So that's what they do, and they do it very well, and they've been successful largely. And it mostly in pummeling the uh, resistance down into the ground. But there have been a, here and there a few bright spots. And uh, South Carolina is one of them. Illinois, Quincy is another, at the time being South Carolina anyway. And uh, Fort well, Worth is still hanging in there. But let's back up. Um, a lot of people, I don't know how many people don't know this, but the Episcopal Church um, put together a policy called the Dennis Cannon. And they brought this up at a general convention. There's some question whether or not it was actually passed. But the Dennis Canon basically states um, that property belongs to the Episcopal Church. Well, yeah, it says that uh, all parish property uh, is imposed with a trust in favor of the Episcopal Church and the diocese in which it's located. So long as, however, so long as the parish remains a good member, member in good standing, the Episcopal Church it has free use of its property. But the rest if, of it, if it tries to leave, the implication is that uh, it then loses control of its property, and that's what the courts have, to, for the most part, upheld. In a few states, they have not, like Texas and South Carolina until recently. Uh, if I, carry if I, right now, if I, as if I, as a vestry person or uh, or the vestry, wanted to ask a judge for clarification, and said, "Who owns this church?" He would say, "You own this church," until at which time you want to leave uh, mm -hmm. the diocese. And therefore, the Dennis Canon is implied uh, to override neutral principles, right? Exactly. And it says that, uh, unusually, the Episcopal Church and the diocese, neither of them owns your property. They didn't pay for it. Their name's not on the deed. But they are allowed under this canon and the principles of law that uphold it to create a trust on your property without your written consent other than the fact that you joined the church some time ago and agreed to abide by its its ways. So it's a, um, it's a very unusual creature where you get to have a trust created by 
for the benefit of a person who doesn't own the property and doesn't have the consent of the owner, the written actual written consent of the owner in many cases. So that's what's created most of the litigation, and that's what's created, uh, as I say, the courts have gone different ways on it. Well, even we say different ways. In California, it's flip-flopped through the courts. In South in Carolina, California. it flip-flopped. It flip in Texas, they haven't really flip-flopped. They're just kind of still working it out. In Illinois, it flip-flopped all the way through the, the courts. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just nobody understands church law. Church law, right. It is, it's, in many cases, it's not until it reached the highest court that you've got a definitive ruling. As you say, there were rulings on both sides of the way. And um, currently, however, as I say, in California, it's a, the Dennis Cannon is triumphant and uh, is, is, is given full enforcement in Texas and Illinois. And uh, as I say, South Carolina is a mixed bag because of the way the court most recently there, in the most recent case there, it kind of mixed everything up and muddied it up and made it very unclear. But in those states anyway, uh, the Dennis Cannon does not have a free sailing and has an uphill battle. And that's where they are right now in court. We um, have two, actually, there's still a proceeding pending in Fort Worth before the Texas Supreme Court. And then there's the uh, Illinois case, which just finally settled, announced a settlement between the Diocese of Chicago and the uh, Diocese of Quincy. And then finally, the uh, South Carolina case in which the judge, trial judge is doing his best to sort out what the um, five different justices meant in five different opinions that supposedly handed the case back to him after well, reversing the trial court. Let's give a little bit of history. Uh, the, Dennis Cannon was originally thrown out when the mission or the EMEA, uh, Chuck Murphy's church, Pauly's Island, tried to leave the diocese and they went well, all the way on. to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, what Dennis Cannon? We do not yeah. recognize it. Neutral principles rule here. Um, don't be a carpetbagger. Get out of here. Right. And that was in, let's see, 2002, 2003, I think, all, the All Saints Waccamaw case. Mm -hmm. Actually, the decision that came down in 2009 from the South Carolina Supreme Court. And then, so we thought we, we had the law pretty clear. And then this new case started up with uh, Bishop Lawrence and his group when they um, withdrew from the Episcopal Church as the result of the Episcopal Church trying to remove uh, Bishop Lawrence from his Episcopal office. And so the um, they were first to go to court, Bishop Lawrence and his group, uh, they anticipated what Tech was going to do, and they so they filed suit first and got a startup on things. But, and for the time being, um, once again, based on the All Saints Waccamaw case and the, the dead letter effect of the Dennis Cannon, the trial judge held that uh, Dennis Cannon had no effect in South Carolina, and so therefore these parishes all, um, the property belonged all to them outright. Furthermore, of course, uh, Bishop Lawrence had gone to the precaution of giving each individual parish a deed, um, saying that the diocese renounced any interest in it, its property. So that all went was fine until it went up on appeal to the Supreme Court, which was constituted newly from, there was only one justice, uh, or yeah, two justices maybe. There were holdovers from the Wall Saints Waccamaw decision. One of them was the former Chief Justice Toll, and uh, she 
was sitting on this panel as a judge who retired mostly, but this case was still in her uh, ones that had been assigned to her. So she was going to rule on it, although she was no longer chief justice and the other one, the current chief justice Beatty. And they held that um, they, of course, held that Walt Saints Wakamab was good law. Uh, and they differed, however, in that um, just Chief Justice Beatty said, well, it would be a different thing if the trusts, if the parishes actually sat down and agreed, signed a writing, saying they agreed to put their property in trust for the Episcopal Church. So if they, what he called, acceded to the Dennis Canon in that way, then the uh, that would be a kind of a, um, you know, sorry about that. That's all right. Well, you're a busy person. We know all that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, they, if they acceded to the uh, Dennis canon in some fashion, then he would hold that they had, uh, were subject to it. The problem was, in that case, there was no evidence before the Supreme Court that any of the parishes had done anything with regard to the Dennis canon because that was not one of the points appealed by the Episcopal Church from Judge Goodstein's ruling. Uh, so there was nothing in the record on that. And what the Supreme Court did was Beatty and, a few, and the two other justices who ruled in favor of the Episcopal Church reached back into a, a memorandum in, for reconsideration filed in the trial court judge with Judge Goodstein, written by the tech parties. And in a footnote there, they happened to make the assertion that 29 of the 36 parishes involved uh, had acceded to the Dennis Can. That's it, quote unquote, acceded. They didn't say how. They didn't present any evidence to back up that statement. And so in the Supreme Court, unbelievably, the justices, uh, Chief Justice Beatty and uh, Justice Hearn, who was herself an Episcopalian, of course, and uh, Justice Placones, they all picked up that statement and said, oh, well, 29 of them exceeded. So, and Justice Beatty said, if 29 of them did exceed, then the Dennis Cannon is effective on their property. Well, and then they sent the case back to the lower court. And the lower court ever since has been trying to figure out, well, the Episcopal Church said, you know, it's been decided. 29 of them have to hand their property over. And the other parishes, the 29 parishes, they're not so fast. We never exceeded to the Dennis Canon. And, yeah, and the baby said, a false statement. if we didn't exceed, then we're not subject to it. And here's the evidence. And I started bringing in and putting in the evidence showing that they had never exceeded. There's never a writing signed by them. And so that's where the case has been floundering around for two years. The Episcopal Church resisting uh, getting this done, uh, examination of these facts, saying it's already been laid out by law. Now that 29 parishes belong to us. Just hand the property over, appoint a master, and give an accounting so that we can get an accounting of everything that they've spent in, in the meantime on our property. And so uh, that's been the way it's going. And then... And, the motions that the Episcopal Church filed with the trial judge, he pretty much had ignored them up till now because he was following this route that the 29 parishes were saying, no, look at this evidence. But he announced just last week that he was scheduling a hearing for tomorrow, Thursday, uh, to take up the motions filed by the Episcopal Church and its parties with regard to having a writ of execution issue, a special master appointed uh, to handle the transition of the properties and do an accounting. So all of a sudden here, they're, they're going to get their hearing that they've been uh, saying, complaining they haven't done for two years. And what did they do? They Instead, they turned around and went in back into the uh, South Carolina Supreme Court 
And just two days after he announced the hearing, they filed a what's called a petition for a writ of prohibition in the original jurisdiction of the Supreme Court of South Carolina. Now, let me explain that a little bit. <laughs> the high court, like the Supreme Court of a state, has two kinds of jurisdiction. It has appellate jurisdiction over the inferior courts where cases come up to it on appeal. And then it has original jurisdiction for a case of the very rare cases where it, the case start out in the, high, the highest level in the Supreme Court. Uh, in the United States Supreme Court, for example, the cases of original jurisdiction are spelled out by the Constitution to be mostly disputes between two states. So if California sues Nevada over a boundary line, it has to go into the Supreme Court right at the beginning. They don't fool around with lower courts. Uh, so in South Carolina, the cases that can be brought in the original jurisdiction of the court are cases involving um, lower court judges who were disobeying the orders of the court. And so they came in on this petition and said, this judge, Edgar Dixon, is ignoring your mandate. You sent the case back to him to make sure that 29 properties were handed over to us. He hasn't done it. He's diddled around for two years now, still hasn't addressed our motions. And uh, we would like a writ of prohibition. In other words, you commanding him to stop doing what he's doing and just end the case and give us the property. Sort of a one-size-be-all, end-all end run to end the whole case, just like that. And that's a remarkable maneuver for them to have pulled just a day before, a couple of days before he was giving them a hearing on this subject. It, first of all, it signals loud and clear that they don't have any faith anymore in his integrity. They want the Supreme Court to just brush him aside and say, you're not counting, counting anymore, just sign the, the properties of the churches over to the Episcopal Church. And so, and they're doing that as I say, he, he will, could have the hearing tomorrow. You go ahead as, as scheduled. He could sign an order right then and there denying their motions. And then they would have something to appeal. <laughs> but uh, so and the, any writ by the Supreme Court that come, came after that, would, he'd already have denied their, their motions. So I don't know where it's going to go. It's going to be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. Maybe we should have a follow up as we get news of what happened at the hearing to see just how Judge Dixon uh, handled this matter. Because it's a very curious uh, poise it's in right now. Anybody, Anybody with a cursory look understands that the Episcopal Church does not like the rule of law. All no. their all their uh, lawyer an outcome. Yeah, they're all outcome based. Uh, all their lawyers are very good at working the system. And right. filing, you know, uh, motions and stuff like that that t uh, make sure that this never goes to trial. Right. Uh, I don't I think any of the court cases you were involved with ever ended up at trial, did they? Well, the one in Quincy did go to trial. Quincy yeah. went to trial, and and so and so did San Joaquin. Mm -hmm. But um, the um, in any event, here in in the interesting thing in South Carolina, I meant, forgot to mention. Of the five justices that issued individual opinions in the original decision, there's only uh, two of them who are now left on the court that to rule on this petition. Um, Chief Justice Beatty and, and uh, Judge Justice Kittredge, who were opposed and disagreed with each other. Kittredge descended from Beatty, and Beatty disagreed with Kittredge. So they were opposed to each other in the opinion. The third justice, Hearn, disqualified herself after the fact, after she'd issued her opinion, 
uh, supporting the Episcopal Church, she said, okay, well, then I'm, I'm now recusing myself. So anyway, she will not sit on this petition for that reason. And so now they've got two other new justices who were appointed, uh, and they will be the ones really who will decide how this happens, because if the two of them um, vote both for to grant the petition, that will make it with Justice Beatty, that will make a vote of three to one. And if they vote against granting the petition, that'll make it with Justice Tridge, that'll make it three to one against. So they can decide either to grant or deny it just with their two votes alone. If they happen to split between them, then you end up with a two to two tie. And in that case also, the, the, the court cannot issue the writ because it takes a majority of three justices to issue the writ of prohibition. So I don't think this thing can go anywhere. In my prediction, I think the writ of prohibition is dead in the water because I don't see these two just new justices. They have no uh, leg in this battle, and they have no uh, no nothing at stake themselves. So why would they favor the Episcopal Church and cutting things short and doing what the Episcopal Church wants, um, especially with Justice Hearn out of the picture? So. That's interesting to see, as I say, it'll be fascinating that by next week we'll have a little clarity on what, what things are in, in South Carolina. Now explain the, uh, there was another court case regarding the Illinois. seal and the name. Well, uh, let's get, oh. in, in South Carolina, where the uh, Episcopal Diocese lost, right. or Mark Lawrence's uh, people lost the right to have the name in the seal, the Episcopal right. Diocese of... Um, South Carolina and the seal that goes with that. Uh, tell me how that happened. Well, back to the fractured decision by the five justices again. Three of the five indicated in their opinions that they think they thought that the issue of trademarks ought to be decided by the federal courts because tra trademarks are mostly federal in nature. And so they punted over to the federal court. The federal court, after much hemming and hawing, dithering around, decided based on the opinion of the five justices again, that it read the opinions to say that the Episcopal Church prevailed and got the property, so therefore they said, in that case, we'll award the trademarks to the Episcopal Church too. But they didn't read the opinions correctly. The federal judge did not read it correctly. And I don't know that Lawrence has any avenues of appeal left on that or whether he's he's even bothering to appeal, but uh, it they just held that the everything would go to the um, Episcopal Church and its rump diocese. And so... That's where things stand with that, as far as I know. Because it was five separate decisions. It wasn't uh, a th each justice gave a, a different decision in the uh, uh, property case. Yeah, and and the, you couldn't really read how three of them gave the, the property to the Episcopal Church, except as I said, that Bishop uh, Chief Justice Beatty, uh, his opinion said if they exceeded the Dennis Cannon, the property belongs well. He didn't go into the facts of that because he had no evidence before him on the record, and the federal court couldn't didn't have evidence of that either. So I don't know how it could read uh, that opinion to say, therefore, these 29 parishes all, you know, the trademark and all belongs to the Episcopal diocese too. It's it's a, a typical example of where by going in and overreaching, the Episcopal Church makes a mess of the common law, and that's what's disgusted me over 12 years of fighting it in church. It, it, it doesn't care for the law, the principles of law. It just cares to win, however it can win. And it bamboozles a lot of justices in saying, oh, we're a church, we're a religious law, we're different. Uh, you can't, you don't understand us, it's complex. Uh, and the judge says, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, right. it's crazy. Uh, whatever. whatever. 
so we mentioned so that Illinois think, had uh, made a settlement or an agreement with uh, their case. What happened there? In Illinois, yeah, the um, that was one. It was a clear triumph. The uh, Court of Appeal in Illinois held that the uh, diocese uh, it was effective. It left the church, and the Dennis Cannon had no effect on it. And um, so the you think the Episcopal Church lost that one, right? Well, there were individual parishes, however, uh, in the diocese, some of them who wanted to stay with the Episcopal Church and, and merged with the Diocese of Chicago eventually. So the Episcopal Church, in their defense, started another lawsuit claiming all the parish property, not the diocese, but all the parish property uh, belonged to it under the Dennis Canon, which the Illinois court had said had no effect. <laughs> that didn't stop them. They brought a new, new lawsuit and tied up the property of all these 13 parishes. Uh, and that was an, a messy lawsuit again, a costly lawsuit. Um, and apparently the parties finally tired of, of spinning wheels and spending more and more money on it. And good sense prevailed. They said that it was a new help because there was a new Bishop of Chicago, uh, Peter Lee from Virginia, who'd been this route before under Jeffrey Shorey in Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so he settled down and sat down with his counterpart in the Diocese of Quincy, Bishop Morales, and their attorneys, and I guess they hammered out a, a solution, whereas the issue was there mainly the trust funds that the diocese had held, some $4 million in trust for its parishes. And some of those parishes were, of course, now had joined the Episcopal Diocese of Illinois. So I think they agreed to cut a check for part of those. I don't know. The terms of the settlement are very confidential, and we don't know. But some money is changing hands. No property is changing hands. And uh, I suspect, as I say, they just managed to agree on a number that the Episcopal Church would take. It's not like the, um, the settlement in Pittsburgh, which uh, I was dismayed to read recently, involves the um, parishes there that are withdrew from the Diocese of Pittsburgh. They agreed to pay a certain amount in perpetuity to the Episcopal Church right. as an assessment for their churches of three and a quarter percent of whatever they know they're taking is in offerings. And uh, then after 20 years, it drops to 1.75%. But it goes on in perpetuity. I just, uh, I don't know. I shake my head at that too. But it's it advise peace, advise peace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a down payment on peace there. Now, right. I also want to talk about another thing. It just, it's, oh, we didn't talk about Texas yet. But before no. we talk about Texas, you, you mentioned Bishop Peter Lee. That's what I want to talk about. The irony here is that if you go back in time in, in our tech wars, he was the first bishop to make a settlement with a parish that wanted to leave. And exactly. he did it all. And uh, it, it was kind of the precedent for how a church could leave a diocese exactly. and not get sued and not have the uh, uh, rector hung out uh, uh, on a gallows somewhere. It, it, right. it worked. And Catherine Jeffers Shoy, the presiding bishop at the time, I think it was maybe Griswold a little yes, too, said, no, yeah, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah, cease and desist Bishop Peter Lee and everybody else. There's no negotiation with parishes that want to leave. And she came in with her church and had David Booth Beers file his own lawsuit against all the uh, parishes. And so they, they ran the show after that. And uh, Lee had to step aside. Yeah, it was very, very unfortunate. But she was the new sheriff in town and was going to show everyone how 
you know, how to really do these, these um, take care of these withdrawal devices. She saw them as competitors of heaven's sakes, a competitor <laughs> for salvation, I suppose. Well, ironically, <laughs> the, 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 the people she gave the church to, mostly Islamic, all the churches, you know, the, were allowed to buy the property, were the yeah, competitors. They, you know, you would think that would be something of real competition, but yeah. I just, it boggles my mind that somebody could think of a fellow Christian as a competitor for, to get into heaven or wherever. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Fort Worth, what's the latest down there? Well, the latest is that the case was argued uh, to the Texas Supreme Court in December, and we're waiting for their opinion. It'd come down any week or month now, and I, I'm hoping again that will be another case where they will follow their earlier ruling and affirm the um, that the Dennis Cannon did not have any effect. The appellate court justice who wrote the opinion um, took an awful long time and, uh, and wrote a 150-page treatise on why the Dennis Cannon should be given effect. And I don't know why she went to such effort, because, as I say, the um, majority of the Texas Supreme Court had already indicated that it had no such effect in, in Texas. But um, that was her decision. And by the time it came out, she was the only one left on the court. The other two justices had either retired or died. So they would signed off on it. And so uh, that's where it came out. And then it went up on appeal. So it, it will depend on... Um, but I expect that that court to be fully consistent with its previous decision, and we will have another defeat for the Dennis Cannon in Texas. Uh, a lot of people here had not seen you as, as before, and their, and their brains are going, well, why hasn't the Supreme Court of the United States done anything <laughs> about this if, if all these... Uh, states are having to, to determine neutral principles and determine the Dennis Cannon. Why can't they just step uh, in and, and make a decision? There was actually a couple cases that were going to go to the Supreme Court, but they were just never uh, taken up by the court. Yeah, they declined to review them. And I, I've given up trying to explain why. The, the original problem was created with the uh, Jones v. Wolf decision in 1979, under which the Dennis Cannon then was passed because it indicated that a church could have set up a trust arrangement if it did, did so in its constitution. Well, Episcopal Church being the con doesn't follow that, but it did it in its bylaws and the canons. Uh, but it considers it of having done the same. So the Supreme Court created this problem in 1979. However, the difference between the Supreme Court then and the Supreme Court today, yeah, I tell people is that the reason there has been no of these none of these Episcopal cases have gone up to the Supreme Court is because they're the Supreme Court consists of uh, six Catholics and three Jews, and there's <laughs> there's no Episcopalian sympathizing up there. <laughs> oh, okay, They're well, on their houses. <laughs> let's but finish I, I up with really let's finish up with actually some good news. Okay, you're okay. Uh, in, in California area. Uh, the Ninth Circuit Court is no longer the liberal bastion. That it right. used to be really uh, one of the good things see. Trump has done, right? It's wow. been a, a remarkable uh, transformation, and he's only um, well, he's been able to appoint one third of the of, of their approximately thirty justices. It's the largest uh, court of appeal in the in the country, thirty justices sitting, and uh, he's appointed now over a third of them. And he's they used to be the great liberals bastion of the court with. The Supreme Court would reverse with regularity, but now 
that's not happening. That's, they gave him a decision just the other day I saw on an immigration point of view. And uh, the, uh, Justice, you know, it was a uh, triumph for him in the Ninth Circuit. So things are changing. They are indeed. Whoever said triumph in the Ninth Circuit? That's just that's kind of an oxymoron for a conservative. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for your time. If we do have an update from South Carolina, we'll post it. Uh, uh, if not on Unscripted, we'll certainly do it on Anglican Inc. Uh, if you mm -hmm. want to learn more about the Dennis Canyon, just go to anglican.inc. Uh, it's the uh, website partner to Anglican Scripted, and you can write Dennis Cannon in the search bar there, and it will give you hundreds of stories, many written by my co-host right here, Alan Haley. Thank you again for all your time, Alan. All right. I'm glad to be here, and it was wonderful to be back with you.